0: Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to InFocus, the Hindu's Analysis Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this episode on Friday, the 8th of May, and we'll basically do two segments today. First, we'll get an update from Suhasini Haider the Hindu's Diplomatic Affairs Editor, on the continuing repatriation mission to bring back thousands of Indians who have been stranded abroad during the lockdown and want to return home as the effects of the pandemic continue to sweep across the world. We'll then move on to a longer segment with Srinivasan Ramani, who heads the Hindus' data teams. Once a week or so, we try and look at what the numbers are telling us. This week, India crossed the 50,000 mark in Covid cases This is despite the fact that we have the world's most stringent lockdown, currently ongoing in some form. It sort of leaves us in a very middling place. Not in a great position in our fight against Covid and with our economy continuing to suffer. We'll discuss that when we get to the data section. One big story we won't discuss in detail today are the 16 labourers from Madhya Pradesh who were moored over by a train while they were trying to get some rest. It's an absolutely tragic story of course, but though we don't have a segment on it, a separate segment on it today, it's very much top of our minds, especially when we discuss later on the situation that we find ourselves in with regard to our economy and with the continuing plight of migrant labour and unemployment. So here's Suhasni Haider to start today's show.
1: Well, Jant, as the airline operation for the evacuation of what's called Vande Bharat has gotten underway for phase one, which is the first week of this, uh, with a few hiccups, uh, we've also seen the, the naval part of this operation uh, take off today um, or set sail today from uh, the port of Mali in the Maldives, uh, where the INS Jalashwa uh, headed back, um, carrying about 730 Indians on board. Uh, the Jalashwa is uh, going to be followed up by more ships uh, going on May 10th and two uh, and two more rounds by ships uh, going on May 12th and 14th, mainly going from Mali uh, to ports in Kerala, Kochi, and uh, Tuticorin in particular. In terms of the other, the, the much bigger operation, when it comes to the uh, the aircraft that is being sent around the world, in the first phase, as we've been reporting. Uh, 12 countries uh, from which about 15,000 people will be flown in. But the government says it is going to expand its operation after week two, which is about May 15th or so. They are expecting that after that, uh, they will be able to also send flights. Remember right now, flights are going to places uh, like the UAE, the Gulf, essentially Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, um, and and other countries there, as well as Singapore um, and the Philippines to the east. Uh, and finally to the US and the United Kingdom. But after the 15th, uh, the government is uh, hoping to actually expand it, to bring in students in particular who've been stranded in, in, in Russia, in uh, Uzbekistan, in Kazakhstan, in Ukraine in particular, a lot of medical students there, uh, as well as some more ports out of uh, um, airports out of Europe. Uh, so there will be an expanded uh, mission, remember this mission, does continue, it's still being billed as one of the largest evacuations because it's expected to go on for several weeks. Uh, interestingly, uh, while uh, we understand that rough estimates of three to four uh, lakh people have actually registered to leave the countries they are in, so far, uh, flights that are coming in from, uh, from various countries have seen about 67,000 people registered to actually take the flights. Uh, now, officials are saying this could be for a number of reasons. It could be just that people haven't yet heard about how they have to uh, uh, book the flights from these places. Um, also, that they might have been put off by the idea that they have to do mandatory, uh, uh, you know, quarantines in India. They have to go to an institution. They can't just go home. Uh, and then there is, of course, uh, the cost, which in the uh, which uh, when it comes to the aircraft is fairly, um, uh, it's commercial rates. And in fact, a little more as many uh, passengers have been pointing out for one way tickets, uh, you pay up to one lakh uh, to come back from the US. So uh, the government says so far, they have less than seventy thousand people actually registering to take flights back. And then uh, they have uh, uh, many more passengers expected over time, but not yet fully confirmed to come from various ports in the Gulf. Uh, interestingly, for the first time, the Navy has decided or certainly the government has decided that the Navy will charge uh, for uh, bringing people back uh, in, in evacuation operations in the past. We've certainly never seen this uh, for, the, for starters. Every passenger from the Maldives will be paying $40 uh, and it will be more when it comes to the UAE and if other um, uh, destinations are included for the Navy as well. Uh, So the government saying that they are taking this a week at a time, depending on the need, depending on actually exact numbers of people registering uh, to come back and registering on specific flights, booking those flight tickets. That's when they will know exactly what the large number, uh, what the number of people they will bring back are. Um, But uh, they say their planning is is going full speed and missions in every part of the world are quite closely involved in uh, not just um, seeing that the flights come in and go out, but making sure that every passenger is taken care of. At each of these airports, we've seen even ambassadors and high commissioners show up to ensure that uh, Indian students are being taken care of, um, that Indians who are returning uh, do go through all the screening measures that are needed uh, before they get on those flights, Jen.
0: And we'll move on now to our segment discussing data and the latest numbers. Srini, the, the big number this week was 50,000. That's the number of uh, positive coronavirus cases India has registered. Yeah, that is a that is a pretty big um, number, um, pretty big milestone, shall we say? Mm-hmm. But um, it's also a good occasion to sort of look at where India stands in comparison to other countries who have yeah. who are also going through the pandemic.
2: Yeah, today we wrote an editorial uh, in the Hindu uh, marking the occasion of uh, you know India crossing 50,000 cases. And we tried to compare it with other countries uh, who had a similar trajectories. Now, uh, what we noticed was, you know, the United States continues to, you know, continues to record cases at a fairly increased rate. Uh, almost 30% of the cases today uh, across the globe uh, are in uh, just the United States. Other countries such as uh, Turkey, Iran, Germany, France, uh, even the United Kingdom, it seems that they seem to be, the, the rate of growth of those cases in those countries seems to be flattening out a bit. And uh, we can notice that the infection curves are slowly, you know, petering out in these countries. On the other hand, countries like Brazil and Russia continue to, in fact Russia even more, continue to have you know very high uh, uh, exponential increases in the number of cases. Yesterday alone, I thought, uh, I heard that, uh, uh, you know, Russia had close to 10,000 cases brazil on the other hand even though it's growing i mean the cases are growing at a slightly slower pace than in uh, russia the fatalities are very high nearly 7500 uh, 7300 people have died in uh, brazil now india luckily uh, hasn't had as many fatalities as in brazil uh, our fatalities are close to what's uh, what's a, what's the number of deaths in uh, russia we have close to 1800 deaths now russia has close to 1500 deaths but the cases uh, in the last week or so have increased at a rate which is similar to that of uh, russia and brazil so uh, the doubling rate of cases that is the estimated days when the cases double right that has uh, come down to uh, 10 days in india it was 11 days last week it is now 10 days so uh, clearly uh, we even though we have had close to the uh, most stringent uh, lockdown world over uh, our our uh, curve hasn't really flattened and we still seem to be, uh, you know, experiencing an increase in the number of cases every day. That is reflected in the curves, uh, uh, countrywide curves. And we, even though we are only 15th in terms of uh, total number of infections, the rise in infections suggests that we might move up even further in the list.
0: And um, let's, let's kind of look at this from a statewide breakup too. Mm -hmm. Um, We did, we did do an episode um, It's been about um, a week or 10 days, I think, when we we looked at uh, in great detail at state-wise breakup. But let's revisit that. Which states are, uh, let's let's revisit Kerala. The big news is that they are doing well. Um, There have been days when they've registered, no new cases. But um, aside from Kerala, which are the states that uh, are doing okay?
2: So, uh, Telangana seems to be also doing quite well. The way we try to understand which states are doing well and which are not is by looking again at this metric doubling time. Right. So, uh, let us assume. Let us only consider those states which have which have registered a fairly decent uh, high number of cases. Let's say 500 cases. Okay, uh, states which have registered less than 500 cases, the infection hasn't really touched those states. Partially because those states have done quite well in arresting the outbreak, like Odisha and Chhattisgarh, and partially also because these are states that are not really globally connected. So, let, if we consider those states which have registered at least 500 cases or so, Kerala, of course, is an outlier in India. Uh, the doubling rate has now gone up to nearly 180 days in Kerala, which means to say uh, that is because you know they registered zero cases in four of the last five days, and uh, we are now talking on 8 May 4:15. But having said that, uh, Kerala seems to have not just registered no no new cases. They have also registered very a very high recovery rate with only 25 people actively infected with the novel coronavirus in the state, and that's a remarkable achievement. Telangana, on the other hand, also seems to have a fairly, uh, you know, fairly high doubling rate. It takes uh, nearly uh, 50 to 60 days for cases to double in Telangana, uh, if you look at last week's data. But having said that, we don't really know if Telangana is testing enough because Telangana is not releasing testing sample data. The last time we had testing sample data from Telangana was on April 26th. That's around, around 2 weeks ago. And uh, unfortunately this this state seems to be one of the most opaque in terms of releasing data on testing. So we cannot say for sure that Telangana is out of the woods unless we know if they are uh, testing enough. To the question of testing itself, many states are actually testing far more than what Kerala is doing. Right, States like Tamil Nadu, Rajasthan, Andhra Pradesh are now actually testing far more than the national average and even far more than Kerala is uh, doing now or has, had done in the past as well. But cases are rising in Tamil Nadu, cases are rising in a very alarming way in Gujarat and Maharashtra. Cases are also doubling up quite quickly in Andhra Pradesh. Now We wanted to test that out, we wanted to find out why is that Kerala managed to you know succeed in uh, flattening the curve while these states haven't. What we found was Because Kerala actually tested aggressively in the first, you know, first instance of the outbreak, they managed to arrest the spread better, and that is the reason why new cases are not emerging now. On the other hand, these states like Andhra Pradesh, Tamil Nadu, why they are testing a lot now? They started their aggressive testing slightly delayed. I mean, in a slightly delayed way, which is the reason why they couldn't capture some of the people who had been infected and who were asymptomatic or symptomatic and who have actually spread the virus in, a, in some ways and now even though they these people are testing at a very high rate the cases continue to multiply every day uh, this has been corroborated by others as well like uh, the economist had an article today saying that in vietnam the, uh, the 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 case rate has been very very low that is because they also aggressively tested and arrested uh, the uh, spread of the uh, you know, uh, the spread of the uh, uh, virus much, much faster and much better. So, uh, so Kerala clearly is an outlier because it aggressively tested initially. It, it did its uh, uh, contact tracing far better. Uh, the surveillance system was, was in place and Kerala had some advantages because uh, it went through the Nipah outbreak a couple of years ago and, uh, you know, am- administrative uh, structures were already in place when this outbreak hit. So, that's the reason why we, we are seeing other states not able to, you know, emulate what Kerala is doing right now. That doesn't mean that, uh, you know, states which are testing far more will not see the benefits of it. It will happen, but not immediately, maybe a little bit later. Tamil Nadu, for example, has done a very good job of uh, testing, and but it has had some bad luck in the form of new clusters em- emerging. And I won't, I won't say bla- bad luck, uh, that is also... A, you know, outcome of poor management, the Coimbatore cluster, uh, the cluster of the wholesale market, uh, that should have been anticipated. The whole, the, uh, Chennai had only one wholesale market and that was open for a very long time and not enough protection mes- measures were taken. And so, no, so now uh, Tamil Nadu has, uh, you know, seen the emergence of a cluster. So merely testing is not enough. That, that's what we have found using data and from anecdotal analysis of uh, what has happened in Kerala.
0: Okay, merely testing is not enough, but it's also the timing at which you deploy the testing. Is that the finding?
2: Yes, I mean, testing, uh, uh, more testing is definitely useful and has to be done. There's no, uh, there's no doubt about it. But I mean, for testing to succeed, you need to have uh, a responsive administrative apparatus that does sufficiently well, good uh, contact tracing. And uh, Kerala, which did it much earlier than any other state in India, right Im- immediately after the outbreak started, has managed, therefore managed to flatten its curve. That's a uh, finding that we were able to see.
0: Right. And speaking from the Asian context, uh, Vietnam, uh, we done a, we done an interview with uh, Dr. Srinath Reddy, right. President of the Public Health Foundation of India last week. And he pointed to Vietnam as being, perhaps the country flagged by the WHO is doing the best Yes, With uh, the coronavirus. So, uh, their strategy is somewhat similar to the one that Kerala is following?
2: Yes, that's what The Economist has reported. Uh, They have said that uh, Vietnam with its highly intensive uh, social welfare measures, uh, social welfare infrastructure has managed to quickly surveil and find out uh, cases because of its expansive health networks that is there in that country. That's very similar to what Kerala has done. I mean, the economist has identified that the secret in uh, Kerala and Vietnam is the quick and efficient public health system.
0: So uh, that that would be in terms of just having uh, a better staffed public health system. In terms of you know there being no vacancies across states and this perhaps more uh, rural level community clinics that kind of thing.
2: Yes. Also, this has got. I mean, the economist has not said it aloud, but I they have have implied it. Uh, It also got to do with some uh, the ideology of the ruling uh, establishment in. Right. uh, You know, regions. I mean, one is a province and another is a country. Uh, in Kerala's case, uh, state has seen a robust social democracy. That's what uh, one of our uh, contributors to the OpEd pages and uh, sociologist Patrick Heller had commented a few uh, days ago in the Hindu, that the robust social democratic nature of the polity, uh, deep decentralization, uh, that has been uh, a, a process that has gone on for years together in Kerala presence of uh, uh, the robust civil society networks like uh, the Kudunga Shri program, which is helmed by women, uh, the high participation rate of local authorities in governance beyond just the bureaucracy. All these have actu- actually helped in the arresting of this outbreak in a big way. Now, the Vietnam's uh, story is pretty similar as well. And the common thread in both Vietnam and in Kerala are, are the parties at the helm of affairs, who, who, who are basically communist parties. Of course, uh, in the in Kerala's case, they are mm-hmm. democratic communist parties in that sense. Uh, while Vietnam is a single party system, but uh, there is a you know uh, there is enough similarity between uh, Vietnam and Kerala that explains why both these two you know, regions, a country and a state, have managed to you know curb uh, COVID nineteen not just effectively but also on the cheap. Yeah, that's very uh,
0: that's really interesting. Um, let's move on now, Srini, to talk about some of the economic impacts, the lasting economic impacts uh, from the lockdown, yeah. from the time that the COVID pandemic first hit us. Yeah. And uh, one, the one big thing that continues to stand out is uh, migrant, migrant labor. Yeah. And contributing to that also now, I mean, sort of extending from that also now is the fact that unemployment rates have uh, soared up spectacularly um so so what should we take first what what can we say about migrant labor and the situation with migrant labor now
2: yeah so um uh, there is a, uh, a collective called the standard workers action network it's a group of uh, academicians and civil society activists who have actually been in touch with uh, migrant workers across the country and they uh, came up with a report which followed up on their previous survey that uh, looked at the status of migrant workers Whether they had received uh, rations, whether they had received uh, subsidies that were supposed to be given to them by the government. And uh, three weeks ago, they had noted that almost the bulk of the migrant workers had not received any relief. And they were in distress. So, three weeks later, uh, this time they didn't conduct a survey, but they they listened to the phone calls from the distressed workers. Around 16,863 distressed workers actually reached out to them from different parts of the country. And the findings were that a lot of these workers still did not have any rations, uh, access to rations. They still did not have access to cook food, uh, except for a few states like uh, uh, the Union Territory of Delhi and Haryana. Uh, Most of the ninety percent uh, of the workers who reached out to this volunteer said they did not receive any uh, cash assistance, and uh, they had very little money left. Uh, In Punjab, for example, eighty-four percent of the people had less than rupees hundred rupees hundred left tamil nad one of the more uh, you know socially advanced states, 72% of the people who called in said that they had less than rupees 100 left in kerala it was 53 uh, in karnataka it was 53% in maharashtra it was 75% Mo- and uh, most of them were also unsure about what they were going to do post the lockdown this actually is captured in the anecdotal reports that we have seen in various news outlets and today for example we came to know that 15 people were mowed down by a, a you know a good strain as you know, exhausted migrants had laid down on the tracks itself. This is the kind of, uh, you know, distress they are in. And uh, numbers bear it out, anecdotal stories bear it out. What more is there to say?
0: Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um, Yeah, so, uh, and again, um, following on from that about the unemployment rate, um, do we have a state-wise breakup? In which states is it particularly acute now?
2: Yeah, so, uh, interestingly, the uh, unemployment rate is the highest in Tamil Nadu. That's what uh, the Center for Monitoring Indian Economies numbers point out. The unemployment rate is close to 50% in Tamil Nadu. That's fairly very high. Uh, The reasons offered could, I mean, they they haven't offered any particular reason. But I suspect that in an economy like Tamil Nadu, migrant labor play a major role. I mean, not just migrant labor, unorganized sector also plays a major role in this economy. And because of the lockdown, uh, ancillary industries have closed and the unorganized sector has been badly hit which is the reason why it, it suffers from very high unemployment rate the, the survey also found that uh, small traders and laborers had suffered the most almost 90 million jobs have been lost among uh, this sector uh, entrepreneurs i mean small traders rather or small entrepreneurs more than 18 million people have lost uh, their livelihoods uh, salaried empl- among salaried employees 18 million salaried employees have uh, are estimated to have lost their jobs and only farmers uh, seem to have uh, improved their lot in the sense that uh, there have been a new addition of around 5.8 million farmers and the reason that CMI uh, says is that because jobs have evaporated in the other sectors people have moved to their native places and have taken up uh, farming so that's the state of the country as of now. So I, I'm sorry to sound like a cassandra but that is the state of our country now we are neither <laughs> out of, <laughs> we are neither out of you know, out of uh, danger when it comes to handling the COVID outbreak. Uh, Although the lockdown has certainly uh, ensured that uh, the infection rate is not very high, uh, at the same time, it has not really flattened the curve as well. So, India is in a very middling position there. On the other hand, the economy clearly is in, you know, doldrums. So, um, I mean, this is a situation that's unprecedented for us. And unless, uh, you know, the government uh, gets it, uh, the central government and state governments get their act together. I think this situation is something that will persist for some time. So my final thought is that, yes, we need to test, uh, you know, for more people who are affected, isolate them and uh, ensure that they are treated uh, so that uh, the infection doesn't spread. But I don't think this lockdown can last anymore because uh, you know we cannot do with uh, a lockdown of activities anymore otherwise our economy will you know really really collapse so i think it's time for government to think about protecting protecting the vulnerable uh, the elderly uh, the people who are uh, who have health uh, morbidities and so on comorbidities and so on and let economic activities slowly start to flourish again i think and uh, look look for containment and mitigation rather than no out lockdown i think that's that's what our data seems to be telling us
0: yeah absolutely you're right i think we are in a kind of middling position uh, neither here nor there in terms of uh, you know measuring any kind of success so i think it's fairly clear that we do need some kind of strategy change yeah
2: yeah
0: so uh Shreeni, thanks once again we link to as many data point articles as usual along with this podcast thank you for joining us
2: thanks jen thank you so much